we're just going to continue our message on Matthew 7. And so, if you have a Bible, we're actually talking about more than two scriptures this week, guys. Game changer. And this is my favorite part, is actually when we get to read scripture together. And so, oh, do you want to you borrow my Bible? I have a Bible on my phone. All right, sweet. So, it's Matthew 7, verses... Do 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 fifteen through twenty three. So I'll start and we'll just go clockwise and everybody can read two verses. So uh, Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good sh- So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by the fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, and the one who does the will of the Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many of us, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not, did we not prophesy in prophecy in your name and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So I broke down this scripture in three, uh, this chunk of scripture in three primary sections. So the first one that we're going to talk about is going to be Matthew uh, just 15. And it's pretty straightforward. Beware false prophets who become, who come disguised as sheep, as harmless sheep and are really vicious wolves. And really what I, like what I want to make clear is that Jesus was not the first person to come in his lifetime and say he was Messiah, that he was a prophet, that he was a son of God. And the reality is that he's not going to be the last. And so here's the thing is that when he is giving this warning to the people of God, like beware of these false prophets for what they will seem. It's like there's so many things that they will seem, they'll seem harmless. Kind, fuzzy, warm, they'll make you feel good. But what they are is that they are actually vicious wolves. And vicious wolves attack. Vicious wolves will kill. And so he's giving this warning because he wants us to be careful and he wants us to be aware. And so he goes on in the um, following. It's like as he's wanting us to be aware and he wants us to know what false prophets are like. um, I kind of realize it's like we need to know the truth if we're going to be able to tell what is untrue. We need to know what true prophecy is. Like if these false prophets come and they say that I'm the, I'm the Messiah or this is the word of God and all these things and it doesn't align with scripture, that's probably a way that we know it isn't true because God's word will not contradict prophecy. Prophecy will not contradict God's word. And then it really convicted me because this entire section is Jesus is talking about discipleship and he's talking about what it means to actually be a follower of Christ. And it convicted me because as like, I would like, there are moments in like my relationship, um, like where I'll stop Riley. I'm like, do you think people know that I love Jesus? Like in the way that I love them, in the way that I treat them, would they know? 
if I didn't ever say that I was a Christian, would they know? And I was incredibly convicted because I want to be a tree that bears good fruit. I want what I say to align with how I act. And so this message was just super convicting because, again, it's like we need to know truth if we're going to be able to tell what is true and what is untrue. And so my first question is, like, what are ways we can learn the truth? Question number one. That's a really great stereo system, by the way. What was the question? What are ways that we can learn the truth? Being able to discern what's wrong. Yeah. Discernment. I would say the Bible is a really great way to be able to know what's true and not true. Suppose the caveat is that you would have to know, like you have to read the Bible in order to know what it is. Because even like people take it out of context and they, um, so it's so important in our own lives to study the truth. What are other ways we can learn what is true? Hey, Jess, can you ask them to turn it down? Jess, can oh, you ask yeah. them to turn it down? Hey, I'm also going to acknowledge that truth is very subjective in like our day and our age. Is that we, there's a saying that says live your truth, which essentially is like this, this banner and this mantra that truth is absolutely subjective. And I would say like one, as a Christian, you have to choose whether or not you are going to believe the Bible is true. That's like, because if you're going to say, I believe the Bible is true, that Jesus is real, then we are aligning ourselves to that truth. But we have to recognize that we live in a day and an age where truth is very subjective. And so a way that we learn truth is that if we say that we are Christians, if you say that you're a Christian and you're learning what that means, then the Bible is truth. The Bible is a revelation from God. And when we read it and we pray and we meditate on it it helps us reveal what is true but at some point because truth is so subjective we have to choose that this is what i believe to be true and then we align ourselves to that hanging out with people that we know are living in a way that aligns with the bible is another way that we learn truth and i'm passionate about this part because I think that it is so incredibly critical for the modern day church for us to be intentional about living life with people because living life with people and inviting them to life means we're inviting people into a space where we get to share life with them. And when we get to share life with people, we get to share truth with them. Like I remember one time Riley and I were having dinner with a neighbor and um, we're just hanging out. We were playing board games and he the husband just looked at me and he goes so what do you believe and he just lay like he just shared his entire like spiritual journey and we were able to tell him what he believed but the thing is that we built relationship with them for so long that there was a level of comfort where we can share with them with the truth and they would know that we're not sharing this and condemning them we are sharing it because we have we have invested into that relationship where they can ask us that question and it will not be received in condemnation. It would not be received as us shaming them, but it's received as like, these are people who love us and we love them. And even though we believe something completely different, 
there's a level where I could say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and the way to heaven is through him. And there was not that, you know, that awkwardness that can happen when you talk about religious things. And so I want to encourage us is that to be intentional, to be intentional and to be aware and to be careful because there will be many people who will come in our lifetime who will say that they are preaching truth and they are preaching gospel truth. But unless we know the truth, what is actually in the Bible, we can easily become fooled. The first thing that came to my mind was there uh, when Riley and I, the year Riley and I got married, there was a guy who bought a ton of billboards all over Seattle. And essentially the billboard said that the, the, the rapture, Jesus' second coming, was on May 21st, and it was our wedding day. And people believed him. Even though the Bible was very clear on, you will not know when I will come. This homeboy is like, you're definitely coming on May 21st. The Bible's like, you will not know. That's why you should be prepared in and out of season. That guy was like, I'm going to buy a ton of billboards. I'm going to say that the second coming. And he fully believed it. And people believed it with him. So he was saying that this is truth and people believed in it because they didn't know truth. And so we as people, we need to know what truth is. We need to be intentional. We need to be aware. And the next scripture is you can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. All of these things very repetitive, BT dubs. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify, a per, by, identify people by their actions. And um, something that we should know as we continue to study the word of God is that Jesus was very good in using the language that of the day that helped people understand. So he uses a lot of agricultural examples about trees, fruit. He uses farming examples like oxen, and he uses Roman context too. And so Jesus was aware of the context that he lived in, and he taught in a way that helped people understand. And that has always been convicting for me because I think that it is super easy to forget to speak in a way that people understand. And one of the things, I was in Bible college, and one of the things that I really struggled with was whether or not I could tell somebody the gospel without using like super Christianese language. Can I tell somebody that Jesus loves them without using really big language that would be confusing that people who didn't, grow up in the church or were involved in church language could understand. But Jesus was so good at it. He was so good at speaking with examples and stories, parables that people understood. And that should be an example for us. Like even in that small way that we should like not be a part of the world in that sense, but we should be aware and speak to people in a way that they can understand it. If we are only using and examples of Christianese, is like, do you understand the propitiation? Do you do? How do you feel about the tribulation? How do you feel about Jesus's blood, clean, like washing you clean? Like, without context, 
Those are really creepy things to say to somebody. Do you know that the blood of Christ washes you clean? White as snow. To someone who has never heard that or understands the, like, the, like, if, I'll be honest. If we step back and say out the gospel out loud, it seems ridiculous. Outside of the very power and presence of Jesus and God revealing himself through Jesus, I could say, as a pastor, as a Christian, if I had no context, if I did not experience Jesus myself, if I did not experience incredible Christians who loved me and loved God well, if somebody just said to me, so Jesus died for your sin and he gives you forgiveness so you can be reconciled to the Father God, who is creator, and by the way, there's a Holy Spirit involved in there somewhere. Like, all those things, if you step back, that's kind of scary. That's kind of intense. I would wonder what reconciliation is, why they get to identify my sin, why do I need forgiveness. Holy Spirit sounds really weird. There's a God the Father, so who is Jesus? Is he God too? How does that work? Don't worry, Jenna warned us. Winery, Winery is in a season where she screams in joy and screams in anger. I remember it well. <laughs> and so, um, I don't know, like I just was convicted because we should be aware that of how we speak to people and the language that we use when we get to share our faith. And But what stuck out to me in the last couple of verses is the fruit is the byproduct of the tree. Fruit is meant to be eaten. It invites people to partake. Is that when he's talking about this language, is that good fruit from, goes from a good comes from a good tree and bad fruit comes from a bad tree. The fruit is representing what is the tree. The fruit, like, have you ever gone fruit picking? Anybody fruit picking? No. I have not. But I assume you can identify a apple tree by the apples. Uh-huh, right? All right, see, babe? One for one. Confirm. <laughs> you can identify an orange tree by the oranges. Okay, here's a wild one. You can identify berries. What type of berries based on the bush that is on, right? Well, ideally you should if you live in Linden. Like, you should know what a blueberry bush is. <laughs> but the idea and what Jesus is saying is that you should be able to tell so much about a person by what you see their life and their actions are like. That you should be able to look at somebody and like purely based on the way that they're living, the decisions that they're making, the way that they're speaking to people, the way they are treating people, the way that they respect people they don't even know, that there should be obvious things about a Christ follower that you should be able to say that there's something different about that person. If it is joy, if it is mercy, if it is grace that they give to people, is that this idea is that the fruit is what makes the tree. Like, you would be able to tell what kind of tree by the fruit. You should be able, people should be able to interact with us and recognize there is something different. There is something unique. And it should be, and we should live in a life where when they experience that, they want to partake in it out of curiosity out of the fact that we have treated them with grace and mercy, but people should be able to sense that there's something different in us. And that is what he's saying. That the byproduct of our relationship with Jesus should invite people to partake in it. 
that the way that we love Jesus should speak so loudly that people are curious. And I do not believe that it is effective to stand on a corner with a giant sign that says you're going to hell. I don't believe that invites authentic relationship where people can feel like they are loved because we can preach of this love from God the Father, but how can we preach this love if we do not give that love? How can we preach about forgiveness, about how God the Father dies so that we can experience, or Jesus dies so that we can experience forgiveness if we do not give forgiveness to people? That there are so many things that we have to understand that Christians, that the church needs to understand is that we are not effective when we are preaching things that we will not give to people. That an intimate and thriving relationship with Jesus should result in people around us experiencing joy, grace, mercy, goodness, forgiveness, and so much more. Because the fruit invites people to partake. Our life, our actions, our speech should invite people to wonder if they should partake in this faith and in this gospel and in this relationship that we have with Jesus. That something should be setting us apart where they should say, there's something about that that I am curious about. I want it. And this is where he goes, and he keeps saying where I was like, wow, this is really repetitive, is that good fruit comes from good trees. Good fruit, good trees reproduce good fruit. Bad trees reproduce bad fruit. Good fruit comes from good trees. Bad fruit comes from bad trees. And I think this aligns with people can say all day long that they love Jesus, but if their life is not aligned to the truth of who he is and what he has done, then it's most likely not true. And I always use this example, but it's like if I told you that I love, if I just said to you, Nico, I love Riley so much. But then because we work together, you see me five days a week in settings. Would you think, wow, Aunt really loves Riley if you saw me walking down the street holding another man's hand or kissing another man? You'd be probably like, It'd be kind of weird because you're like, wait a second. Red flags. Red flags, for sure, right? Because I told you with my mouth, I love Riley. But with my actions, I would do things that dishonor him. So the question is, do I love Riley? Is that we allow for this giant gap. It's like, but but sin is sin. And I'll be honest, sometimes sin does no, not sometimes, all the time sin doesn't make sense. But God is calling us to continually invite ourselves in a space where our words align with our truth and sin makes it hard. It's like, um, what was it? Kyrie gave me a really great lesson on magnets. But it's like you're bringing opposite ends together. You know how they resist each other? No, common ends resist each other? Yes. <laughs> well, I missed that part of her lesson. But common ends resist each other and you kind of like have to work really hard to like wiggle it in. It's kind of fun. And you wiggle it in and it's like we are trying to constantly align our our actions with our speech. And sin is that force that tries to push it apart. Sin is that that force that tries to make us not be aligned. And it's so important that we are aligned because I am just so sure that the world is so tired of hearing Christians say one thing but live completely differently. That the world does not need more hypocrites. The world needs more people. Like, the world needs more 
people who say, I love Jesus, we need to be feeding more. Like, we need to be taking care of more widows and more orphans. Like, I honestly, Tristan, I think about your family and I think about, like, your mom and your dad. They are, they now have, you know, you and Tyler are older, so they have Tabea and Tavin. And they're like, but this is what we can do. So we're going to take care of these kids who have not experienced love the way they should by their parents. Like, that is living out the gospel. That is saying, we believe in Jesus, so we will take care of these kids because we can. For us, we should be able to say, we love Jesus. So this is the way we're going to live out the gospel. There has to be alignment because when there isn't alignment and abiding in the truth of Jesus and who he is, we will always live in this space of hypocrisy and that will not bring people into the knowledge of who Jesus is, into relationship, into wanting partake of that fruit. And then what, what's really intense about the way Jesus ends this section in verse 20 is that trees who don't bear good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into hell. That's a little intense because I realized that we don't always talk about the entirety and the fullness of the gospel. We talk about the good and fuzzy things, like there's forgiveness and there is grace and there is mercy. But rarely do I hear the entirety of the gospel preached that those who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior will go to hell. And we also make hell the way we, we try to fear-base people into it is that it's like a fire pit. And I don't, I don't know, the, I haven't studied hell, biblical hell, long enough to know, well, this is what it is. But what I have read in the Bible of what hell, what Sheol, what death is, is that it is a place of immense darkness and a place where there is no hope because as crappy as life can be is sometimes right now on earth, at least there is hope. At least there is the option of hope. But hell, there is none. There is no, uh, what, I don't play video games enough, you know, do-over, mulligan, Respawn. another life respawning so there isn't a situation in christian faith where you're like i lived x amount of years didn't choose jesus died went to hell and was like i'm definitely going to use my 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 respawn there isn't that option in their christian faith we believe that jesus is the way the truth and the life and we must accept him as lord and savior not just savior for fire insurance but lord as in the person that controls our life like if our life was a ship he was the captain and he was steering and i just also recognize that sounds super christian and corny but the idea is that we believe that and those who don't profess jesus as lord and savior will go to hell that good trees Good, trees that don't bear good fruit, people who don't live aligned, and it leads us into this next section, is like, they will be chopped down, and they will be thrown into hell. And that is why it's so, like that, for me, when I read anything about hell in the New Testament, or anywhere in the Bible, I don't feel fear, I feel urgency. I feel this urgency in my life, where I'm like, if if I say I believe in Jesus and this is the gospel and this is truth, I cannot go a single day without making sure that somebody, that every person I interact with knows that they are so loved. 
that if we have every single day to live and we do not exist in this urgency, and I say we, I'm talking about me, if I don't exist in this urgency, because I don't know when Jesus is going to come back, but I can say that I love so many people who don't know Jesus, and if they don't know Jesus, and I could share with them Jesus, but I don't because of whatever reason, and if Jesus comes tomorrow, and they do not know, they will perish forever, and I cannot have that happen in my lifetime, where there are people that I know who I love, and they will die, and they will be forever separated from God the Father. There should be an urgency for all people when we talk about hell. Because I can come up right now with an endless list of people that I love so much that I want with me in heaven. So when we talk about hell and we talk about the fullness of the gospel and the entirety of it, where people in the past have used it to create fear, for us it should create urgency. And then he transitions But before we go into that next set of scripture where he transitions, the question that I have in my mind right now, and I want us to all go around and answer, but what happens when people find out the inconsistencies of our life? Or what has happened when you have found out the inconsistency in someone else's life? Maybe a mentor, maybe a pastor, or somebody that you really look up to. What are the consequences of our inconsistencies? Where we might say that we believe in something, and it could be anything. It doesn't have to be in the realm of faith. Like, I believe in recycling, but I never recycle. Like, an example is there was a girl on YouTube, and she her, her following was all vegans, and there was a video of her eating a fish taco, And, like, she became a pariah because they were like, you're telling us we should all be vegans and the vegan lifestyle is the way, but here you are eating a fish taco. And she wasn't even given the chance to explain maybe why she had a fish taco. But everybody who followed her, like, what I was reading in the comments and stuff, like, they were losing their mind. Because this human being who said she was a vegan was eating a fish taco and God forbid she was not aligned with what she was saying. So that's my example of an inconsistent, like something you say and it doesn't align with what you do. Anybody else have some examples? Examples or like answer the question? Answer the question. Examples. You do you, babe. Well, I just want to. Uh, this is your house. You do whatever you want. Well, like, I mean, when you find the inconsistencies, uh, especially with somebody you look up to, you feel like a level of betrayal. Mm. Mm-hmm. I guess an example could be like with my kids. I'm not consistent with them, and it mm. backfires on me. 
Yeah. Like, if I would have... I swear tonight, if I would have just let him go, then it really would have backfired mm -hmm. later on. So, yeah. Faith, do you have anything that comes to mind? <laughs> Faith? Uh, I think when it comes to, like, people that you are, like, friends with, who you look up to, depending on, like, what they do, it kind of, they, like, lose legitimacy. Like, my coworker David... He's like, I quit soda. Like, he's done drinking soda. But if I see him drinking soda, like, I'm not going to, like, completely lose trust that he's telling me lies all the time because <laughs> he's drinking soda. But it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, why is he drinking soda, right? He just told me that he quit soda. Yeah. And. Morales, <laughs> like, why you quit soda? I don't know. I was saying the same thing. So it's like, I mean, and, like. I mean, it's just soda, right? Yeah. Like, I probably get over that pretty quick. If I see him drinking soda, it's like, okay, he just needed soda today or whatever. But, and then there's, like, certain things that are, like, super extreme, like the vegan eating a fish taco or fish yeah. burger or whatever yeah. sandwich. You know, those are, like, very extreme, con like, that person lost, like, a ton of legitimacy. Like, yeah. even to me, who I don't even know this person, like, I can't trust them, like, right out of the gate. Like, yeah person who says they're vegan, but they're eating a fish taco. I don't trust them. <laughs> so. What else? Right, so I got, I got kind of like a similar thing. I have a co-worker who like constantly, like he just like always wants to quit drinking. Like he'll like say it like every time I see him, he'll be like, all right, so no more hard liquor. I'm done with hard liquor. I'm not going to drink hard liquor anymore. And then like a week later, I'll see him buy something. He's like, well, I'm only drinking this this time because like we got a big rugby game. And it's always tradition that we drink here. And then he'll be like, all right, well, I'm giving up beer. I'm not doing beer all this month. And then he'll like be like, all right, so I drank just like a little bit this weekend. But and it's like all those little justifications. Like, dude, if you want to not quit, don't like try to quit. Like, you know, like if you want to do it, do it. And don't like make a big show about it. It's like one of those things where it's like the more that you make a big show about it and then consistently aren't doing it, it's like it's just so frustrating and annoying. It's like I just makes you not even want to like engage in that conversation or any any types of things and it's like dude, you just don't follow through like mm -hmm. regardless of what it is like especially the bigger presentation that you make yeah and it could trickle down into bigger things too where right like that's just like hey i want to do this one thing you know like something maybe more extreme and then it's like well i don't know you're like not following through on these small right. things right it's kind of like yeah you just you you have that expectation of them now I think that the larger your platform, the louder your voice, the bigger the fall and the consequence of not being consistent. And I think some, and I, I mean, I'm going to put this out there, but I think that's what really binds people up from preaching the gospel and living out the truth because they realize the more vocal they are about it, the higher standard that would be held for them. That the greater their platform, the greater the fall. And the fear of the fall is what keeps people from doing everything that God has called them to do. Like, I think, like, all, like the example that comes to my mind is church planting is really hard. And I probably want to, like, think to myself, I really want to quit more than 50% of the time. But I, I know what God has called me to do. So if I know that is truth then I need to align myself and my emotions and my heart and prepare my endurance for it because I know, so I want to live it out. 
that we should know and want to live it out because when we and this this might not even be related but it's like when we are willing to live out our faith and be bold with our faith and in no means do I mean I say bold and like stand on a street corner like I highly advise you never stand on a street corner with a sign that tells people they're gonna burn in hell or wear shirts like that I just strongly advise against it but the more bold we are in our faith and it could be boldly loving people boldly showing grace in all these things because we know that that is what God has asked us to do and we boldly do it and we are louder about it than when there is an inconsistency there is loss of credibility that then we become known as a Christian that doesn't actually do what we say we're gonna do Tanner and Tristan do you guys have anything to add examples mm -hmm. I think it's kind of similar to what you just said, but more on like the trust side of it. Yeah. Once someone kind of goes back on what they show or what they said, it's the trust level kind of drops. Yeah. And it's harder to believe what they say. Isn't it crazy how hard it is to earn trust, but how easy it is to lose trust? Mm -hmm. It's like trust is like climbing a mountain. You get up like. I don't know. And you just slide right down. And, yeah, it's like every, it's like grab. It's like you just slide. You're like I just climbed like twenty feet, but I definitely slid like fifty. Yeah. So I need to work back up. I just think that Christians should be the people that the world trusts to be loving and merciful and good, but because of brokenness, we are not. That the church should be a place where people can gather and experience the presence of God and feel loved despite wherever they're at in their journey. But we're not. And we end it with the last three verses. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of the Father in heaven will enter. On Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who breaks God's law. First and foremost, for that first verse where he says, only those who actually do the will of the Father in heaven will enter my first question this isn't a trick question what is the will of God and how do we know what it is let that marinate for a bit because that's like a really big question because if the scripture is the verse is not everyone who calls out to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter and keep in mind that it says do, it's action. It's participation. Not just actually saying that they're saying and talking about the will of God the Father, but actually doing it will enter. Then it, it makes me wonder, then what is the will of God? Because how can we do something that we don't know what we're supposed to do? Like, have you ever been given, I want you to think about like, when somebody tells you to do something and you're and like, and gives like no instructions. I need you go. I don't even have a good example. I was gonna say I'm looking at Neon. Like set up a computer, but there's no context. Where? Which monitors? For who? How many computers? Where are the supplies? Like just a generic. Like, 
go do that. It's like, uh. Like anybody else, like those situations where somebody's like, do something, and you're like, but I have questions. Because mm-hmm. I want to understand. Like when I bought my plant, where I bought planty in the corner, I probably asked her like 30 questions. Because I was like, I need to understand how I make this thing live. And I was, and she was like, you pluck off the leaf sometimes. I was like, like you just, like, and I tried to show her examples of how I would pluck off a leaf. I'm like, like this, like this, do I just manhandle it? Like, how do I do this? I want to understand. She's like, this is what you do. I'm like, no, I need, a, I need more questions. That's how invested I was in plenty. No, that's not it. You don't <laughs> grab it and just chop it off, Tristan. You should have been there to ask questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like the will of God, how are we supposed to do it if we don't know it? So what do you think the will of God is? What are you thinking when I'm like, what is God's will? Oh, that's my marinade. What comes to mind? Even if it's a feeling. Like, is it like weight? Like the weight of like that question? Like, what is the will of God? Because he's saying that there will be those who cry out, Lord, Lord. Now is that like, I don't know you. But only those who actually do the will of the Father in heaven will enter. Tanner, what are you thinking? Oh, you're like, oh, gosh. A camper might ask you this, so I'm really preparing you. I don't know. It's like so much of the gospel is is about love. Yeah. And, And loving each other and loving everyone, but loving them the way God does and not the way we do as people. Mm-hmm. And showing them a love that we can't always comprehend. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I think it kind of harbors back to your first question. One of those same kind of things. It's like, how do you know truth? How do you know the will of God? Like, that's really kind of a similar question in the vein of, like, how do you know the will of God? I think it comes to, like, studying, knowing the truth of what that is and knowing what you believe and what your truth is and doing your best in the situation with what you know and what you can come up with you know whether that's through discipleship whether that's through learning from other people whether that comes from reading the bible all those things combined will help like should lead you to you know a closer understanding of what god's will is Mm. i think it's not just a single thing i don't think it's just a list of things I think it's everything right yeah so it's about walking the walk consistently living out your faith consistently doing the will of God isn't just a one time thing it's not just a hey I did it and I'm done it's a consistency through your life yeah that's good In my, and I'm still growing and I'm still learning, but I just think like, if God sends his son Jesus to die so that we would have the option of whether or not we would want to accept him as our Lord and Savior and be reconciled, have relationship again with God the Father, then his will probably has a lot to do with Jesus and his will probably has to do a lot with relationship. And what that looks like. Because the scripture, the verse after this is that the people come and they're like, 
We did all these things. We did them in your name. We prophesied in your name. We may have made miracles happen in your name. We did all these things in your name. But we should be very clear that religious experiences and acts does not equal closeness to God. That sitting in a church does not make you a car. Saying you're a Christian does not make you a Christian. It is your life. It is embedded in who you are. That these religious things that we do for whatever reason is not a measurement of closeness. But is what we produce out of our actual life. What overflows from our actual life is probably an indicator. How we spend our time is generally an indicator of what we believe is important. Is that when I disciple young people, not I don't have time. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to go to church. And then I hear more about how they spend their time. I'm like, if you have time to play 10 hours of basketball for fun, you're not even a professional. <laughs> you probably can re-divert some of your time. Like, baby, I'm going to use gaming as an example. It's not a hit to the gamers. Like, let me be clear, this is not a hit to the gamers. But as you know, Riley loves to game. Riley's great at gaming. It's one of his favorite things to do. But when we had kids, Riley had to reassess how he was going to experience gaming because he no longer was just a single guy who could game as soon as he got off work. He had responsibilities. He had things that are priorities. Baby, do you want to give some light to that? Like, you love this. But because other things happen in your life, you had to reshift. You still game, but it just looks differently, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it takes, I mean, you just have different priorities that come into place. It's still like something that you can enjoy, but you just know how to enjoy it in different ways. And, you know, if, for example, like gaming for me, it's something that I enjoy. But, you know, there's different times and different ways that I play different games for different reasons, like, I stopped playing games that I couldn't, like, just stop at any point when I had little babies. You know, it was like, I want to be able to just have a game that, like, hey, if my wife needs something, I'm not like, okay, well, let me get to the next save point. Or, like, let me figure this out. Or, like, I have to watch this cutscene because I can't pause it because it won't come back. And it's like, you know, I don't know. So, like, I just want to play those games because I just knew that wasn't, like, a realistic thing that I could do while also trying to, like, be available as a dad. So, it was like... You know, finding a different way to also still enjoy that outlet, but just in a new, different way. And, you know, it it's good, you know, to, to narrow those things down. So. The word that stuck out to me is the idea of priorities. Is that if Jesus is Lord and Savior, if faith is a priority, then our life needs to speak of that priority. Like for me, something that I am walking through in this season is I am overly exhausted. Like probably because of health stuff that I have going on, I'm overly exhausted three out of four weeks of the month. And so because our life has been in so much flux and so much transition, I know that Jesus is a priority. I know that being in the Word of God is a priority to me. I know that, and I speak it, and I know it, and I want to do that. I want to, I want to actually put actions to what I am saying is a priority, and I am having to figure out what that looks like now because my body is weary and exhausted 
three out of four weeks, three weeks out of four weeks of the month, I operate at like a 60% energy rate, if not less. But I want to align what I say and I know is important to what I do to make it important. Because religious experiences does not equal closeness to God. We can do things in the name of God, but it doesn't but it doesn't matter if we miss the heart of God. And I want each of us to sit and marinate on that, that we can do things in the name of God, but it doesn't matter if we miss the heart of God. And to know the heart of God, you have to be intimate and seeking and in the word and in prayer and in community. And it will be wrestling. Like if you are not wrestling in parts of your faith, I just don't know if like, Ever, like, faith is hard. To have faith in something that maybe the majority of the world doesn't have faith in. To say that this is true where the majority of the world is like not hard past. To live a life where we believe certain things and live a certain way when the majority is like no hard past. That's hard. You wrestle. So we have to remember just like the people that came to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And he goes, get away from me. I don't know you. We can do all these things, but unless we know Jesus instead of knowing about Jesus, unless we know God instead of knowing about God, and we can do all these religious experiences, we can go to church all the freaking time. And we can carry around a Bible all the time. And we can wear cross necklaces and have cross tattoos and wear religious, like, uh, like funzy t-shirts that talk about, you know, like strength of an eagle situation or something like that. We can do all these things that people are like, oh man, you seem really religious. We can do all these religious things. We can go to all the conferences, like Christian conferences. And listen to all these Christian CDs and do all these things. But unless we are close and intimate in relationship. So I want you to think about the closest human relationship you have. The closest one you have where you can be fully vulnerable. Fully yourself. Without fear. Without worry or shame or condemnation that that other person does not like that other person will not reject you. Think about that closest, that intimacy, that relatedness, that love, that is following, that experience, that should be that experience that we have with God is that that closeness, that there is no shame because we know of his love, that there's no condemnation because we know of his love, that is what matters. And from that closeness, from that intimacy, will be the fruit of our life and of the discipline of learning to be still and to getting into the Word of God, to pray, to worship, to be intentional, to prioritize. There's been a lot of things done in the name of God that is shameful, that is hateful, that so misaligns what is biblical truth but people say they do it in the in in the name of god 
and we can still easily do that today do things in little ways and big ways that in one of the consequences of an inconsistent Christian where our word does not align with our faith is that it creates confusion. How will someone know if we're constantly confusing them with the way that we speak and we act? How will they know and how can they trust and how can they essentially like wouldn't they question our integrity? Wouldn't they say that, why would I want to be more confused? And so Jesus launches, and Martha's going to talk about discipleship again next week at church. I won't be here, but Martha's going to hit into again is that religious action or what we have declared as Christian things does not measure closeness. Relationship and the fruit of our life measures closeness. 